everything within us, Jesus agrees wholeheartedly with that final statement by Abraham Kuyper, mine. You own everything, and everything was made for you. Nothing makes sense without you, and everything becomes clear with you at the center. The gospel is able to transform absolutely everything. And so we need your help as we launch into this wonderful series in the book of Colossians to see it clearly. The it being your centrality and your supremacy, and to have the centrality of you, Jesus, transform our homes and our marriages. We need to see you correctly so we will be moved to action um, to minister to the people at Brookside. We, we need you to um, be centered in our lives so we'll know how to share Christ effectively and conquer fear and put away the fear of man and be everything that you call us to be for your glory. So Jesus, as we begin... Today, I just simply want to ask for you to penetrate our hearts, pull away the blinders of our eyes, and speak to us, I pray, by your word and through your spirit. Oh, we are hungry today and yearn to meet with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles. We're going to go over to Colossians chapter 1 and also be looking at really the entire book today in kind of a a grand overview of what the book of Colossians is all about. And today, the title of our time in the Word is this, Why is this core? And what does it mean to put the word core on the book of Colossians? And this morning, we're going to look at that by virtue of just kind of a general overview of this wonderful book. So a number of years ago, I took up uh, the sport of running. And honestly, it was a little bit begrudgingly, because when I was in high school, um, I kind of laughed at people who were runners. I was like, what are you running from? You know, I mean, what's the point, right? He's running, right? So for me, running meant either you're running from something or to something, or in my case, was dribbling a, a soccer ball on my foot or a basketball in my hand. And, and yet the reality was that as I got older, um, something happened. Um, my suit started to shrink. I don't know how that happened, but it, it did. And my dad was right. He said, Mark, you know, when you turn about 35, um, you're going to find that you're not going to be able to eat all of that without paying the consequences. And sure enough, I was. And uh, one thing you know about me is I'm too cheap to buy new suits. And so I was like, you know what? i got to do something. got to find some kind of exercise. And my wife was an avid runner, and, and so she kind of introduced me to the world of running. Bought my first shoes and got the outfit. You know, at least I look good when I'm running, right? So I might not be fast, but I might look good. Now, I look like a, like a giraffe running down the road is how I look. So we went to the zoo yesterday, and my favorite animal was the giraffe. And my kids were like, yeah, that's because you look like one when you walk, you know? So, so I'm like a giraffe with ASICs, and I'm running down the road. But I, the reality was that I loved it, and it was fun. I was hooked. Went to my first uh, uh, race, got the shirt, competed in it, did okay, and it was just a lot of fun, something I enjoyed doing both with my wife, and now it's just a part of my routine. But then I found something out. I found out that there are little joints in my legs that don't appreciate the pounding on them every day, and I started to find these aches and pains in areas that I never knew. I had joints and nerve endings and things of that sort. And eventually it even led to some back problems. So here I am running, trying to you know lose weight, get in shape, and I haven't had any back problems and things like that. So I went to a, a athletic trainer and I told him you know what was going on. He said, "Oh, here's your problem." I said, "Your problem is you're running, but you're not working on your core." I was like, "My core? 
what's that? He said, that's those six-pack that you can't see anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. He said, they're there, and they'll show up, but here's what you got to do. you got to start doing crunches and sit-ups and push-ups. And I was like, oh, I didn't know this was a package deal, right? I thought he was running, and that was it. Well, sure enough, I had to do some crunches and some sit-ups and come to find out that strengthening the core ended up solving a lot of my back problems so I could run and not be injured. And he explained it to me this, this way. He said, if you work on your core, it will hold everything else together and your body will function in alignment the way it was designed. So you got to work on your core. A core, by definition, is that which is central, that which is uh, innermost, the, uh, the most important part of anything. So in the uh, business world, uh, your core business is the thing that you do that if it were to shut down, your business would basically cease to exist. I was talking with some of our elders about this, and they said this. It's what pizza is to Pizza Hut. Like, okay, that makes sense to me, right? So if pizza goes bad at Pizza Hut, there's no more Pizza Hut, right? So it's your core business. In uh, science, it's the atom, the nucleus of the atom. In geology, it's uh, what's 3,231 miles down into the center of the earth, it is the substance of iron and nickel. In, um, in your annual review, the core are, are those things that you do well, core competency areas. In uh, value sets, it's those things that you hold to that define you as a person or as an organization. But here's my question when it comes to our spiritual lives. It's this. So when it comes to your soul, when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to your spiritual life, what's the core of that? What, what's the thing that defines you, that you take with you into every arena of life? When I was preparing for this sermon in my mind about three months ago, I was having lunch with uh, um, a guy in an in, in elected office in Michigan, and I, was, I said to him, what's up with this guy who was running for a particular office? I said, he seems like he goes this way and that way and this way and that way, a local guy. He said, here's his problem, Mark. He's got no core. And I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, that'll work. He's got no core, no, no guiding principle, no internal compass. And when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to your spiritual life, what is your core? See, the book of Colossians, the core of both the Bible, heaven, your soul, and really all of life, is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to begin this wonderful study in the book of Colossians, and we're going to address the question of what is central, what is innermost, what is the most essential part of our souls. And what Paul does wonderfully in Colossians, he uses four chapters, the first two to kind of identify the, the doctrinal truths of, of who and what Christ is. And then he takes the next two chapters, chapters three and four, and he applies it in our world, in our life. I love that he does that. He takes the, this beautiful Christological material of chapters 1 and 2, and then he brings it down into the real world in which we live. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to be dialing into this book of Colossians and figuring out what it means for Jesus to be the center of everything. That's going to be the thing we're talking about, is Jesus is central in everything. Listen, you don't make him preeminent. He is preeminent. You don't make him supreme, he is supreme. You don't make him king, he is king. You don't make him lord, he is lord. Or to put it maybe real directly, he's king and supreme and lord. Deal with it. <laughs> Deal with it. 
Figure out how a way to make this work in our lives and in your lives that reflect the reality of who he is. And thus we have our title. Our title for this series is Living with Jesus at the Center. And imagine Christ being the very central part of everything we are. By the way, can you see the cross and the logo behind there? Intended to be there just subtly behind it. See it? Everything revolving around the cross, everything revolving around Jesus being the center and our lives being that which orbit around Him. So my plan over the next number of months really is to uh, walk through this book verse by verse really throughout most of 2008. And I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to take good notes. I want to encourage you to listen intentionally. We're not going to be back through Colossians anytime soon after we get through this series. We'll be on to other really great stuff. So this will be a window of opportunity. Some of you will mark the time that you came to College Park. You'll mark the season in your life as, well, I came here in Colossians. Remember the Colossians series. You'll mark your life based upon some things that are going to happen during this season. To help you in that, one of the things that I do is I I write all of my sermons in manuscript. I started this about five years ago. Very helpful to me. And these manuscripts are going to be published both online at the church's website, yourchurch.com. They're also available after the service. And here's the other thing. The sermon manuscript is actually available before the service. Okay, So you could actually walk in to a Sunday morning worship service and have a full copy of most of what I'm going to say And that's really helpful for some of you, because you can walk along and actually see the outline very clearly. You can follow the logic of uh, the sermon, assuming it is logical. And um, you'll be able to understand things in a fresh and new way. And I want to encourage you to develop a folder, hang on to this Colossians stuff, and use it as you come back to it over the years, because there's a stewardship of what God's going to do in our lives that, that we don't want to neglect. The other thing is um, we're going to start something. Um, I'm calling it Core Verses here at College Park. And that is that uh, every uh, Sunday we're going to have one or two verses that the week prior you're going to be given. And I'm going to ask you to memorize those verses. Just one or two verses. And the reason is is that for many adults, your Scripture memory program ended when you left Awana, right? And you're like, oh, man, memorize Scripture. I can't do that. I, I just can't remember. Yes, you can. You're just lazy, okay? So I love you, but you're lazy, okay? Anybody can, anybody can memorize. And your verse for next week is Colossians 1.27, okay? Say that with me. Colossians 1.27. Say it again. Colossians 1.27. Now, next week, there's going to be a, a teen choir or someone up here singing, and, and they're going to do the Scripture memory verse for us. But there's going to be other weeks... When uh, you'll see in the bulletin, the scripture memory verse, you'll memorize it. Other weeks, when I'm just going to stand up in the middle of the service, or Eric or somebody else will, and we're going to say, okay, who's got this core verse memorized for this week? And some blessed soul is going to stand up, somebody better stand up, and going to give the verse to us, right? Colossians 127. You're going to nail that thing, right? Okay? So next week, Colossians 1.27, and I want to encourage you to memorize these passages of scripture. All of them will be connected to the message for that week. So imagine this. Imagine you come in, you study, you learn, you you get a hold of the Word, you've got a sermon manuscript in your hand, you've you've got an opportunity to memorize the Scripture, you're you're thinking on it, you're cultivating it, you're chewing on it, you're meditating on it. I mean, that's some powerful stuff that God could use to really do some wonderful things in our lives. The last thing is, is that uh, Greg uh, developed uh, this invite card for us. It looks like this. Uh, Some of you are business owners, right? People come across your desk all day long. just want to encourage you, take like ten of these, and send them out on your desk. People come by like, hey, what's this thing? You can tell them, uh, it's my church. You want to come? You could do that, okay? So, <laughs> they, <yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe a little better than that, okay? So you get the point, though. Is, is It's not so hard to invite someone to church when they say, hey, what's this about? And in the back of it, Greg's got this great directional thing, explains the message. and I mean, it's just awesome. Or if you go to a coffee shop and they have a place you can put your business card underneath the glass, skip the business card. Put this there, right? Drop it underneath as people come. Get the word out about what is going on in the context of ministry um, here at College Park. And, and just ask God, maybe there's someone near you who you need to invite and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. So I want you to work hard in terms of study and memory, uh, memory work. I want you to work hard being bold and inviting people. And as you can tell, I am just really excited about the opportunity for us to walk verse by verse, line by line, through this glorious book as we discover what it means for Jesus Christ to be the core of our lives. You might ask yourself, so why did you choose Colossians? And uh, that would be a great question to ask. Let me give you the reasons why I chose this book. There's four. So I prayed this through four reasons. Number one is the book of Colossians contains some of the most glorious passages about Christ in all of the Bible. There is stuff in this book that if you read it fast, you will miss it. There is stuff that you need to read in this book and read so slowly that it's like you're savoring a wonderful meal in front of you. When we get to some of the stuff in Colossians 1, we're literally, I think, in three messages covering like six words on one Sunday. Because like firstborn of creation, that, that's worth a sermon, just that title right there. And what we're going to do is we're going to just savor the word. And what you need to know is the book of Colossians compares some un, has some unbelievable stuff about who and what Jesus is. When you go out to eat at a restaurant and the food's really good, and you take a bite of something and it's just really good, what do you say? That's good. There you go. Good. Hold that. See, this uh, last night we went out to MCL Restaurant. You know this? That's good stuff. Someone gave us a gift card there. I had no idea what I was ordering. I thought it was a buffet, so I let my kids at first kind of order whatever they wanted. Yeah, so our bill was like $55. (laughs) So I'm sitting there at the table trying to figure out, okay, how can we do this differently next time, right? Thankfully, someone was gracious to give us a gift certificate there. But when we go there on our own, it's not going to be $55, I'm telling you that. But as I was eating the mashed potatoes and gravy, it'd been a while since we'd had like mashed potatoes and gravy because we're in transition and all this stuff. And I'm eating, and I'm just going, mmm, that's good. So I'm savoring mashed potatoes. I want you to savor some of the things that are in the book of Colossians. In fact, when we get done reading this text, I want you to do this. Mmm, practice. Mmm, good. Look at Colossians 1.15. Here it is. He is the image of the invisible God. Just think of that. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if you're here today and you're like, Mark, I'm just barely hanging on. I just don't even, I don't even know how I'm going to do this day. Hear this verse. In him all things are held together. You can't do it, but guess what? He can. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And all God's people said, mm. No, I'm supposed to go, Mmm. 
No, 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 no. Let's try that again. And all God's people said, there you go. Good. All right. Very good. Now we'll try it again. You're slow learners. But here we go. Verse 11. Chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Let me savor this. Savor. Mmm, this is good stuff. Relish in it. Read slowly when you read the word. Don't read fast. Read slowly. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Look what it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven a few of your trespasses. No, having forgiven all our trespasses and by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You know, when Paul was writing this, he probably had a, uh, a scribe who was writing it down. Can you just imagine him walking around the room and he says something like this, and by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And I can imagine the scribe went, mm, man, that's good, you know. Wait, let me get that down. That's like inspired. Let me write that down, right? Because it is. Nailing it to the cross. And all God's people said, hmm. Some of the most glorious passages in all of the Bible. It's, Colossians is like a diamond ring. The more you look at it, like what happened when you were engaged and you came to church the first time and you sat in church and, come on, you looked at your ring, right? And looked at how the lights in the church made it sparkle, right? And you looked and looked and looked. Oh, that's right. Listen to the sermon. And looked and looked and looked, right? And the more you looked, the more the light that shone on it, the beautiful, more beautiful it became. That's what happens with Jesus. The more you look at him, the more beautiful he becomes. And that's why when you retreat from the word, while you kind of back up for your time with him, you feel distance from Christ. The more you look at him, the more beautiful he becomes. Contains some of the most glorious passages about Christ in all the Bible. Secondly, here it is, it fits perfectly with College Park's historical principle to keep the main one the main thing. You know, one of the things that I love about this church and frankly attracted Sarah, myself, and our family here is your commitment to be sure that Jesus is the main thing. I love that. Our mission as a church is to glorify God by making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what our mission is, what we're called to do. We're called to glorify God by making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, not of us, of Jesus Christ. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And then over the years you've developed some historic and cultural principles, some standing stones. How did we get here? What are some things that have made College Park unique? And those have been listed for you in the website and in other places in the church facility. And number one on that list is that we need to keep the main one, the main thing. And my pledge to you as your lead pastor is to help us continue to do that, to let that flag fly clear and clean and straight as we say, God, where do you want us to go next? But the one thing we want to be sure we always are committed to is at the end of the day, it's of him and through him and to him, meaning Jesus. Third reason. It applies, this book applies the centrality of Jesus to marriage, to home, and to work. See, the Christology of Colossians, the, the view of Christ in this book is, is glorious. It soars way high. 
and through this book, you're going to be, you're going to be gripped by the greatness of who Christ is. And then in the next chapter, Paul takes this, this high and elevated view of Christ and he brings it down into how husbands are to love their wives. How wives are to submit to their husbands. How, how children are supposed to obey their parents. How servants are supposed to obey their masters and masters are supposed to take care of their servants. You see, what he does is he takes the glorious things of Christ and he helps us know that this book is not about some ivory-towered questions where you ask questions about things that no one is asking, but rather this is about understanding how to take Christ and making him live in the real world. It's a great book, a practical book. It deals with issues like moral purity and anger and child-rearing and how to work. It takes... Christ-centeredness, and it brings Jesus into the midst of all of those things. And then finally, Colossians is an important book because living a Jesus-centered life is the primary battleground for all of us, isn't it? It's the area that the disciples of Jesus Christ, those who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's the thing that we fight against all the time. Because here's the reality. The Bible is gloriously Jesus-centered. Heaven is gloriously Jesus-centered. Revelation um, chapter 5 and uh, verse 9 says, Worthy are you, speaking to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people to God, and you made them a king and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And the response of heaven is these four and twenty elders fell on their face, and they worshipped with a loud voice, saying, Worthy is the Lamb. So here's the thing. Heaven the very center of heaven is Jesus Christ. It's His light that illumines the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus is the center of the Bible. So the reality is, is that Jesus is the center whether or not you make Him the center of your life. You see, you don't make Him, as I said before, preeminent. You don't make Him the center. The question is whether or not, here it is, your life reflects the reality of Jesus being central. The question is whether or not your life reflects God's design, Jesus being supreme over all. Listen to Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, I mean, Paul goes to great lakes to be sure that we understand that there's nothing that you can exclude the centrality of Jesus from. And whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, knowing Jesus is the core is one thing. The other thing is figuring out how to make that verse work. In everything, do it all in the name of Christ. So that means that every part of my life needs to be brought under the submission of the supremacy of Christ. And the quotation by Abraham Kuyper is exactly on, that there is not one square inch over planet Earth over which the risen Christ does not say, Mine. Let me translate that. There's not one little error in Mark Rogop's life over which the risen Christ doesn't say, Mine. And living a Jesus-centered life is the primary battleground for us. So this book could transform various areas of our life. And, and I want you to think creatively with me about the things in our lives that could and should be brought into the conformity of the centrality of Christ. I mean, think with me about the things that could happen if Jesus really became central and how that could transform how you read the Bible, how you prayed. Some of you can experience a new centrality of Jesus. You start memorizing passages about Him. You start thinking about Christ. 
Well, you just turn the radio off and start memorizing the Bible. That's going to help. You just turn the TV off and start thinking about Jesus. Stuff's going to happen inside your soul. But think with me even further about what would happen if Jesus' centeredness began to invade areas like TV watching and Internet surfing. What about Facebook postings and iPod listenings? What about Jesus' centeredness at spring banquets and dating relationships? Or to bring it into my world on Friday, um, or rather this week, how does Christ-centeredness relate to moving? See, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, we packed up our house and said goodbye to the truck and traveled down here on Thursday after fixing up our house, and we're done. We're Hoosiers now. <laughs> I don't even know what that looks like. <laughs> but I am one of them, right? And we moved. And my wife, as we're talking about this idea said something really wonderful, which is why I'm so thankful for her. She said this, Mark, you know my goal this week is not just to move. My goal is to move and to not sin. It's like, yeah, baby, that's good. Good luck with that, you know. So, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's good. And I think she did it. I don't know if I did. So that's what I mean. You take moving and you transform moving by the centrality of Christ. You realize that moving is not the issue. The issue is how can I exalt Christ through this move? And you could take every area of life, every arena that you have, and say, how can I transform my little areas, these pockets, by bringing Jesus-centeredness into them? And what I want you to think about with me this morning is this. What are the areas that don't have Jesus-centeredness? centeredness in them in your world. Jesus centered this morning, right now, yeah, great. So awesome. So what are the areas that Jesus centeredness is lacking? And some of you it may be that the very nature of your soul is lacking Jesus centeredness because you've never given your heart and life to Christ in the first place. And today there's a battle waging in your heart over who's going to really run your life. And the sooner you realize this truth, the better off you will be and the more you'll understand what the Bible is saying, that we make a mess of our own lives and it's only through the person and work of Christ that we can truly be forgiven and have a right relationship with God. And that's where it all begins, because Jesus is the central reality of the universe. Now, how's the book of Colossians organized? Here it is. Here's the outline. This will serve as kind of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 for us. It begins with a great doctrinal section on uh, Jesus being at the center. And uh, we're going to experience some great things together, both in worship, through Scripture memory, and through teaching about what Jesus is when He is the center. And then it moves right into section 2, which is about how Jesus-centered ministry really works, and then what Jesus-centered thinking is all about, and then what Jesus-centered living is. So you can see Paul's thought. We talk about Jesus Talk about ministry along uh, in the context of Jesus and, and then figure out how to live and walk in a manner that reflects the centrality of Christ. Now the first one is this idea of living with Jesus at the center. And I want you to see again in verses 19 to 22 all of the words that Paul uses. It's almost as though he runs out of adjectives to describe Jesus. He describes him this way. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator of everything in heaven, earth, visible and invisible, physical and spiritual, the pre-existent one. He's the sustainer of everything. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's the preeminent one. These are the words that Paul uses to describe the person and work of Christ. And every word highlights a little different dimension. And it's as though Paul looks at Jesus from multiple angles and when he's done just stands back and says, wow, 
Paul says here is that everything we have, everything we see in the text is a spiritual reality. Meaning, you don't make Jesus the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. You don't make him Lord of the universe. He is Lord. You don't make him, you don't make me 6'5". I am 6'5", right? But you can come to me this morning and say, okay, so now today I accept that you're 6'5". I was 6'5 last week. I'm 6'5 today. If, if you didn't accept it, you're just either weird or blind, right? You just didn't see it. You didn't realize it. And Paul says, look, when it comes to the the sovereignty, the supremacy, the centrality of Christ, he is central. He is supreme. And Paul lists these things. So listen, Jesus doesn't ask your permission to be like this. We don't elect him to these positions. He doesn't run for office. He doesn't need your vote. He doesn't run TV ads or put in yard signs. And for goodness, he doesn't take a poll either. Jesus is supreme. In fact, you know what he is? The best word to describe him? He's absolutely free. Free from our approval, from our consent, from our validation. We don't make him Lord. We don't make him the center. The question is not whether or not he's the center. The question is whether or not our lives reflect his centrality. And as we submit our lives to the centrality of Christ, you come to realize how messed up, difficult, and tragic our lives would be if they weren't and aren't centered on Him. You see, Jesus, listen, doesn't need you in His orbit, but dear friend, you need Him to be your core. Because hell will be filled with people who said, no, I don't need that. And one day you will see Him face to face, either as your Savior or as your Judge. You see, the beauty of the centrality of Jesus is the fact that God, in Christ, reconciled the world to himself. Look at verse 21 in Colossians 1. He said, and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So there you are. You're alienated. You're hostile in your mind. You're doing evil deeds. Now what has he done? He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Jesus is the center of creation, of redemption, of worship. And the goal of Colossians is to help us understand his supremacy so then we can live in light of it, to bask in the shining light of Christ's supremacy. Then Paul moves us into Jesus-centered ministry. Here's the thing. You won't serve Jesus well unless Jesus is the core. You won't be able to suffer You won't be able to make it. You won't last. People don't say thank you. They don't appreciate it. You call yourself a servant and they treat you like one and it isn't fun. And what keeps you on your knees? What keeps you serving? It's the fact that you're doing it for Christ, not for them. It's the fact that Jesus-centered ministry means that you can transform hardships and sufferings and look at them as part of the process of becoming like Christ. Look at what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. How could he say that? How could he say I rejoice in suffering? Because he knew that when he suffers, he becomes more like Christ. He wanted to be like Christ more than he wanted an easy life. And when you put that at your core, the enemy can throw whatever he wants at you, and nothing can shake that because Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8 is in the Bible not to put it on our walls to make us feel good. It's to put within our hearts so we could conquer 
hell and death and sin and hard people and do hard ministry and say no matter what they do to me, nothing will separate me from the love of God. When Jesus is the core, then you can fill up, he says in verse 24, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He says, I'll warn everyone, teaching everyone, that we may present everyone mature. So all of this flows. Real ministry flows from Jesus-centeredness. And when you start to become the center, when you begin to take Jesus out of the center, pretty soon ministry becomes way too hard, way too difficult, not a lot of fun, and it simply isn't worth it anymore because your focus has shifted from Christ to you. And Paul says, here's what real ministry is. Real ministry has a deep dose of Jesus-centeredness in it. Then in chapter 2, verse 8, 3 to 4, 3 verse 4, we talk about Jesus-centered thinking. Here's what happens in this section. Paul takes some great truths about who Jesus is, and he talks about our position in Christ, and then translates that in how we should then live. In other words, he tells us, these are the promises of God, this is what God has said about you, and this is then how you should live. Look at some of the things. Chapter 2 and verse 9. In Him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, you have been filled in Him. Verse 11, you were circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, you were buried with Him. You were also raised with Him. You were dead. God made you alive, having forgiven you. In verse 12 and verse 14, He canceled the record of debt that stood against us. So that stuff's all true. And then Paul says, so if that stuff's all true, then let no one pass judgment on you. Verse 16. What does he mean there? There were people in their legalistic fervor trying to put their man-made standards on other people, and the weight of that fear of man started to crush people's joy. The weight of what people thought of them started to crush their relationship with Christ. And Paul says, what are you doing? Don't let people pass judgment on you. Focus on Christ. Focus on Him. This is what He's done for you. This is who He is. This is the glorious splendor of all that He is for you. Focus on Him. And so how do you defeat the fear of man? How do you win the battle with worrying what people think of you or people put pressure on you? You focus, Paul says, on Christ. And then he goes on. Even further says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or, or angel worship. And then with a clarion call, he points them to the person and work of Christ and what they're to seek. Look at verse thir- uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What's he saying? He's saying the way that you win the battle with life and hardship and people and the fear of man and legalism and asceticism is you think about Christ. You live on the promises of God. You will hear me say this often, but the problem with our thinking, College Park, is we don't think about our thinking. i say that again. The problem with our thinking is we don't think about our thinking. We just feel. And just because you feel something doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel something in your heart doesn't mean it's right. And our problem is we don't often think about our thinking. And Paul says, think about Christ, get your thinking right about Him, get your theology right about Him, and then live in light of that. Remember, theology isn't boring. Pastors are, right? Mmm, right? (laughs) Theology isn't boring. Pastors are. You think about Jesus and you make Him live in your world. So Friday... 
I'm trying, I had my first experience with the license branch of the Department of Motor Vehicles for the state of Indiana. Why are you groaning? So I had to make three trips back and forth. I show up at the desk, some very nice gentleman says, that's great, sir, great, where's your social security card? I'm like, social security card, I gotta have that? He's like, yep, so I'm like, I leave, come back. What I needed was, I need the license plate, because my license, of all things, expires today. But the title to my vehicle is in a box in some storage unit that I can't get to. So i got to figure out how to get title to a vehicle. It's a big mess. Finally, I get it all done, right? I'm all set to go. We finally get it worked out. And he says, okay, that's $105.75 or whatever. So I started to write out my check, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry. We don't accept checks unless you have an Indiana State driver's license. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm about ready to have a connection, Okay. So I get back in line, and I'm standing in line, and I'm having these thoughts, and I'm thinking, Lord, I don't need this today. I don't need to stand in line at the Department of Motor Vehicles. I don't need this. I need to write a message about being Jesus-centered in everything I do. <laughs> and suddenly it dawns on me. Oh, yeah, that's right. I could transform waiting in line at the license branch and making it Jesus-centered. So I'm standing there, I'm thinking about Jesus, I'm singing about Jesus. Now, I'm loving standing in line, because I'm thinking about Jesus. I transformed the line and thought about Christ, because the problem with my thinking is I wasn't thinking about my thinking. I was more concerned about my agenda, my plans, my inconvenience, my little grumbling spirit, and then Christ comes in and poof, he transforms standing in line by making Christ central. So don't tell me this is all just a bunch of theology. This is about theology that works at the license branch of the Department of Motor Vehicles. And that's cool. Finally, Jesus-centered living. Paul then takes it, makes it very practical. So Jesus is supreme. He's the core. He's everything. What he says is everything that doesn't fit with Jesus being supreme needs to go. And everything that fits with Jesus being supreme needs to come and then bring all of that into every area of life. In other words, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, chapter 3, verse 5, that needs to go. That needs to get out of here. We need to see those things as not not just a little bit of, of indiscretion. We need to see those things as an assault on the supremacy of Christ. If he's everything, we say, you're my treasure, you're my everything. If he's my everything, then that stuff's got to go. And then what needs to come in? Oh, oh, whoops. Anger, too. Wrath, slander, obscene talking, and lying. Chapter 3, verse 8. All that's got to go, too. And what's got to come in? Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. Yes, patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving, having the peace of Christ. These are the things that only make sense when Jesus is central and they come out of your heart. And then what happens next in chapter 3, verse 18, he then says, oh, and wives, the centrality of Christ is most displayed when you're submissive to your husbands. And husbands, the centrality of your life is most displayed when you love your wives as Christ loved the church. And children, the centrality of Christ is most displayed, supremely lifted up when you obey parents. Show me children who obey their parents, I'll show you children who value the supremacy of Christ. You've got fathers who don't provoke their children. You've got servants who obey masters, even if they're ungodly. 
you got masters, you got employers who treat their employees with honor and respect, and they're fair. Why? Because they know that they serve a master. They're not supreme. They're under the authority of Christ. And it means that our speech should always be seasoned with grace. So do you see it? Orbiting around the core are all of these relationships, and every one of them is different because Jesus is at the center. And it means that Jesus is powerful enough to transform every area of our lives, and that's why this book could be so transforming. Living with Jesus at the center could literally transform every area of our life. So listen to me. He's the core. He's the center. He's the very heart, the centrality of the universe. And yet there are some of you who are treading lightly and underestimating the King of kings and Lord of lords. How so? Some of you this very day, even though the Spirit of God is wooing you, you feel conviction in your heart, you know that the only way for you to be right with God is to receive Christ. This very day, you dig your heels in and say, no, I won't let him control my life. And you dig your heels in, and dear friend, you may be on the verge of God saying, fine, you know what, have what you want. And the hardness of your heart sets in. And this day the conviction may go. And God's judgment upon you will be that even if you heard a message, your heart would so be hardened, you would never hear what you hear today. Others of us, Others of us have this little thing that we do. We compartmentalize certain areas of our lives. You know Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you got this little area of your life that you don't want Jesus to be a part of. And he goes to that door, he starts to shake the handle a little bit, and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, uh, that, that's my room. And what Jesus says about that room is this. So you think you're going to have your little fiefdom without me? I own that room, and your taking control of that room is, in effect, treason to me. I'm king of kings and lord of lords. When you received Jesus as Savior and Lord, it meant that you released the right to have little compartmentalized parts of your life that are about Jesus and me, Jesus and me. No, it's Jesus all or Jesus none. Because when he comes in, he doesn't come in just to take a part of your life. He comes over to take control of all of your life. Here's another way that some of us do it. We, uh, we come to Christ because we don't want to go to hell. Or we want Him to fix up our marriage. Or we want to be able to be blessed. And so, really, your relationship with Jesus is based upon getting an upgrade. It's like religion 5.0. Like in Vistaland now, right? See, so you're moving up. And the reality is you, you treat Jesus like He's a butler. You ring a bell so you can get a, a better this or a better that. And how you know if you really think that way is when Jesus takes something away, if you're left with rage and not love, then you know that you were in this thing in the first place because you wanted something better. And what you have is so much better, but the trouble is you don't value it. You'd rather have your this than having Jesus formed in you. And finally, some of us treat Jesus like he's our buddy, our co-pilot, or our life coach, when the reality is he is supreme, he's the king, he certainly is our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our what? sins and griefs. Listen, he bore our sins and our grief as King of kings and Lord of lords, and without him doing that, we would have no friend in Jesus. So who is he? College Park Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator of everything. He's the preexistent one, the sustainer of all. He's the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead. He is the preeminent one. And the question is, where does Jesus find you today? What rooms does he know about? What about your heart? Is he wooing you today? 
calling you to take the transforming work of Christ. Maybe for you it's just it's traffic. It's, it's a child. It's the line of the Department of Motor Vehicles. Or maybe it's something far more serious than that. A life-dominating sin pattern that today you need to say, No more. I serve Christ. See, the message of the book of Colossians is that Jesus is not your lackey. He's Lord. He's the core. And that means that we need to learn how to live with Him at the center of everything. Of everything. Of everything. So, Father, I pray now that You, through Your Spirit, would take this Word and apply it in deep ways in our hearts. I pray, Lord, for those little compartments that we all have, little vassal kingdoms that we are ready to be done with, but need to confess and acknowledge to You even today that, Lord, I don't let You in this area. I don't trust You or believe You in this way. Oh, Lord, Maybe there's someone here today who's so filled with rage because of a hard past or a a tough providence that you put into their life. And today they just need to release that to you and say, you're God, you're King, you're Lord, it's okay, I trust you. Or maybe today, Lord, there's somebody here who's never bent the knee and received Christ. Would you today open their heart? Be gracious, God. Stay your hardening hand. And help them to come to faith in Christ today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together as we close? By way of our benediction, Eric led us in a new song. You're the center of the universe. Everything was made in you, Jesus. Breath of every living thing. Everyone was made for you. You hold everything together. You hold everything together. Oh, Christ, be the center of our lives. Be the place we fix our eyes. Be the center of our lives. Remember that? And we closed. Sing this with me. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Us. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. So College Park, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, because our lives on earth could be all transformed, giving Jesus His rightful place. And all of God's people said, Amen.